Well, good morning, Canyon Hills, and welcome everyone to our live stream service this morning. My name is Matt, and I'm the adult pastor here at Canyon Hills Friends Church, and I just have the delight and the honor of starting a brand new series with you all this morning that we have titled Called. And the name for this series, it actually comes from a word in the Greek that's used in the New Testament over 146 times, and that word is kaleo. And if you were to look this word up, you'd see that it means called, but actually there's such a more rich and deeper meaning and definition that exists behind this word. It actually means to appoint, to place, to position, to designate, to call, or to summon. And the reason that we have chosen to title this series as called is because as Christians, if we are going to truly call ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ, of believers of him, well, there are a few things that we need to understand we're called to do. If we're really going to be the people that we say that we're going to be following the man who we say that we're going to follow after, well, then there's a few things that our lives should be reflecting as we've been called to do them if we are following after Jesus. And so this morning, I get to start off with the very first one, which is that we are called to care. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what background you come from. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. Every single one of us, if we are calling ourselves believers in Jesus, are called to care, to show compassion to other people. And it's so phenomenal when we start to truly understand the impact that this has in our lives. You know, I recently read a story in preparation for my message this morning about a pastor who was coming back from a conference and he was on an airplane and he happened to be sitting behind this woman who most people would consider an aggressive, obnoxious type of Christian. And most of you know what I mean. It's that one person who just seems so arrogant and so pushy with their faith. And she was just shoving Jesus down the poor guy's throat who was sitting next to her. And the pastor writes and he says, at first, I was really admiring her faith and her boldness to be able to share what she believes in such a way. But as he started to watch this conversation unfold and the interactions between the two of them, he could see the man was becoming more and more disinterested. He was becoming more put off and eventually he wanted nothing to do with her. And he says at one point in the conversation, he just holds up his hand and he says, excuse me, please stop. I would love to listen to what you have to say about your God, about your faith, about your religion, if you would be willing to listen about my story, about who I am and about where I come from and what I believe in. But the truth is you won't because you don't really care about me. All you care about is trying to convert me. You know, as I was reading the story, it made me think how many non-believers feel this same way about us as Christians, that when we interact with them, when we speak to them, when we engage with them, that it's really just this, you don't really care who I am or what I have to say. All you really care about is just getting some notch of spiritual salvation on your Christian belt. It's heartbreaking to think that that may be the reality for a lot of people really thinking that we don't care about them when that could be the furthest from the truth. You know, it's ironic because last week, Pastor Carlos shared an amazing Mother's Day message. And in it, he mentioned a scripture that also talked about something regarding this same subject. It was Paul writing to the people in Philippi. And he says this, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. 
for they all seek their own interests, not that of Jesus Christ. See, this is a very sad statement. He says, look, Timothy, he goes to bed thinking about you. He wakes up thinking about you. His whole life is consumed with just caring for you, but there's no one else like him. I bet if you look hard and you look far and wide, you won't find anybody else who cares for you like Timothy does. You know why? Because they only care about themselves. They only care about what's in it for them, let alone what really matters the most to Jesus Christ. Now, as I heard this scripture last week, I started thinking and reflecting and I realized, man, how true is that of my own life? How many times have I put myself before others? What's in it for me? What am I going to get out of this? How am I going to benefit from this scenario? What's this going to cost me? And it was heartbreaking to think about that because I fall into that category of there's no one else like him who truly cares for you. And it made me think of this time when I was in college. I had a friend that I worked with at Disneyland and her parents lived in Northern California and she decided to go up for the weekend and visit them. And the weekend ended and it was time for her to come back home. And she knew that the drive would be really long all the way back to Orange County. And so she decided to leave really late at night to try to bypass all of the traffic. And so she got in her car after saying her goodbyes and she got on the road and it started to rain. And as it started to rain, the traffic started to get a little bit thicker than she was hoping for. And she remembered reading about a story or about a, a shortcut that she could take that would bypass the freeway, save hours in her travel and be able to get her home faster. But she had never taken it before, but for some reason felt this was the right time to take the shortcut. So she saw the exit from the freeway and she got off and she started going on the shortcut. And what she soon found was that the rain started to get thicker and heavier. And in addition to that, a fog started to roll in and they started to condensate together. And soon the roads became slippery as ice was starting to form. And she had low visibility and she could feel her wheels starting to spin from underneath there. And all of a sudden she lost control of her car. She started to skid out. And she went off the side of the hill, not just off the side. She crashed through the embankment, went all the way down and crashed into the bottom of the ravine at the very base of the hill. And keep in mind, this is like a 30 to 50 foot drop from the road to where she landed. And she told me that she struggled to get out of her car. And so she had to break one of her windows to get out and somehow had the wherewithal to grab her phone and her purse and start to climb her way back up to the main road to look for some help. And once she got up to the road, it was pitch black. It was raining. It was cold. It was foggy. She didn't have a whole lot with her. Everything was still in her car. So she started walking. And by some miracle, some angel of the Lord, these two guys happened to be driving by in a truck and saw her and took pity on her and offered to drive her back home. Now, you may be asking, Matt, why do you tell me this story? Well, there's two real reasons why I tell you this story. The first is this. These two men showed what real compassion looks like. They didn't know who this girl was. They probably had places that they were trying to get to, where, somewhere to go, but they saw someone in need, someone who was hurting and decided to show compassion, to reach out and to truly make a difference in her life and offer to drive her all the way back home. But the second reason I tell you this story and the more important personal part for me is that when she got in the car, she called me. 
And I remember when my phone rang, I jumped up awake, looked at my phone. I saw that it was her, looked at the clock, saw that it was after 2 a.m. And the first thought that went through my head was, it's probably a butt dial. I'm going to go back to bed. So I silenced the phone and I laid back down and I tried to go back to sleep. But there was something inside of me that told me I need to answer this call. And so I reached over, almost missing the phone call, picked it up and I answered and I said, hello. And she just started crying. And as she was telling me the horrible ordeal that she had just experienced, everything that she had gone through, in my head, I was saying, man, you know what? I'm so glad that you're okay. I'm exhausted. I've got work tomorrow. I've got school tomorrow. I've got places I've got to be tomorrow. It's really late at night. I mean, you're still hours away from me. What are you expecting me to do for you? And all the while she was telling me what she was going through, I couldn't help but just think about myself. And even though this was years ago, I still can't shake the feeling today that I failed her. I failed her because for some reason in her moment of need, she decided to call me. You see, as a friend working with my coworkers, I always told them that if you ever need anything, call me and I'll be there. Doesn't matter day, doesn't matter night, doesn't matter the time, you call me and I'm gonna be there to help you. And so she remembered that in her moment of need and she cashed in on it and she called me and how did I respond? I'm exhausted and I wanna go back to bed. I failed her. I could have offered to get in my car and drive out halfway and meet her so she didn't have to ride with two complete strangers, let alone men she didn't know all the way back home in an hours long drive. I could have offered to FaceTime with her, to give her a friendly face, some comfort or reassurance as she was processing this traumatic moment in her life. I could have offered to stay on the phone with her all the way past when she got home and when she finally got to sleep to give her some comfort and peace of mind. I could have offered to bring her breakfast the next day to check in on her, make sure that she was okay. I could have called the next day to make sure that she was okay, that she was processing everything well and that she had settled down but I didn't do any of these things. After a couple hours on the phone with her, once she finally got home, you know what I did? I hung up the phone and I went back to bed. I hung up the phone and I went back to bed. I failed her. And so my message this morning, it's really born out of my failure. And the key point that I really wanna get across, the pinnacle of the whole message of being called to care is this, that to say that we care and not act it's not to care at all. Let me say that again. To say that we care, but not to act, it means that we don't really care at all. You know, as Christians, we say all the time, man, I care for you. Man, I care about you. I'm going to pray for you. Let me know what I can do for you. Well wishes, right? But how often do we truly follow through with these things? You see, if we genuinely care, if we genuinely want to show compassion towards someone, we have to understand it's more than just a feeling. It's an action. In fact, it demands action. And we can debate all day long the difference between caring and compassion. But what the real heart of this is, is that when we see someone who's in need and we have the power to help, the power to do something about it, we should we should get involved because there should be something inside of us that drives us saying, man, I feel for you, man. I connect with you. I'm sympathetic. I'm empathetic towards you. And I want to help you in this moment. I want to do whatever it takes because I can't rest. I can't stop. I can't sleep until I help you. 
And you know, there's actually a word for this in the Greek language. It's one of my favorite words in the entire Greek language. And the word is splachnitzomai. And I'm not going to ask you to pronounce that because it took me four years in a college degree just to master that one word. But this word is so rich in its meaning. And it really means that to have your inner bowels yearn. And what this really signifies is that feeling you get in your stomach when you know something is wrong. It's just this off-put, painful, kind of like a discomfort feeling you get thinking, man, I need to do something right here, right now to alleviate this feeling that I have inside of me. And even though Slachnitzomai is most commonly defined as compassion, whenever we really look at it, it means that when you see something that bothers you. When you see someone who's in need, you're moved to action because inside of you, you're turning. You can't rest. You can't sit still until you involve yourself, until you interject yourself to help in that situation. When I was in college, I did a word study on this word. And it was so fascinating, all the amazing things that I learned from it. And typically when we see this word used, it's in the context of Jesus with other people. And I want to give you three examples really quick from scripture to kind of help illustrate this. The first one comes from Matthew chapter 14. Jesus had just gotten off of a boat after sailing on the sea and he steps foot on the shore and he sees this massive crowd of people before him. And when he looks at them, he sees they're hurting. He sees the suffering. He sees the pain. He sees the sick. He sees those who are struggling in their life. And so what happens? He has splachnitzelmai. He has this feeling inside of him that says, man, I can't go any further. I can't continue in my ministry. I can't go to the next place until I do something about this right here, right now. And so what does he do? He reaches out and he starts to heal people. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus is interacting with two blind men. And once again, he has pity. He has splachnitzelmai for them. And he reaches out and he touches their eyes and he heals them. In Mark chapter six, Jesus once again is getting off the boat and he's greeted by this large crowd of people. But as he looks out, he sees they're lost. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're confused. They're longing for something more in this life. And he has splachnitzomai. Something inside of his soul says, man, I've got to show them that there's a better way. I've got to give them hope. I've got to give them a point and a purpose and a future right here, right now. So he begins to teach them. You see, to say that we care, but not to act, it means that we don't care at all. Jesus, in every one of these situations, could have seen the need and said, I'm sorry, it's bad for you, and kept going because he had things to do. But no, he showed genuine compassion, recognizing the need of the people around him, and stepped into the scene to make a difference. And you see, folks, what I've really realized in my own life, if I'm being honest and vulnerable, is this, that the closer I get to God, the more I really begin to care about the things that matter the most to him. And the more I care about the things that matter to him, the closer I get to God. It's this amazing, beautiful cycle of life. But the opposite is also true. The further I get from God, the more I begin to focus on the things of myself. And the more I become greedy and arrogant and self-conceited and only worried about my own interests, the further I get away from God. And so what I want to do with our remaining time this morning is simply just share a brief message that comes from the heart of my self-centeredness, my my heart of self-caring, if you will. And even though we covered it five, six weeks ago in our series called Upstream, I want to revisit the parable of the Good Samaritan one more time. 
Because I think there's so much rich meaning and depth that exists in this passage that we could spend years studying it and learn something different every single time. And if you're unfamiliar with the story, let me set it up real quick for you. There's this guy who's so smart. He's super smart. He's trying to trip up Jesus. And he says, Jesus, tell me, who is my neighbor? Who is it that I'm supposed to care for? And Jesus responds by saying this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. Now let's stop right there. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a very, very dangerous road. It was this 17-mile stretch of road that was very windy, had a 3,000-foot elevation decline from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was inclement to all different kind of weather patterns, isolated from any people as it was remote from cities and towns and villages. And more importantly, it was well known for having robbers and thieves and burglars who would camp out along this road, wait for people to come by and then take advantage of them and just beat the snot out of them. And it was so well known for this type of lifestyle that people nicknamed this road the way of blood because there was just blood stains all over the dirt as you would travel down this road. It was a terrifying place to be. And so here's this man and he's walking down this road, probably scared out of his mind, not knowing what's going to happen, trying to get from Jerusalem to Jericho. And all of a sudden these guys just jump out from behind the bushes and the rocks in front of him. And it's not the simple, hey man, give me all your lunch money, kid. No, this is like UFC flying kicks and fists of fury. They just start wailing and beating on this guy. They take his clothes, they rip off all of his clothing, take his jewelry, take his sandal, take everything that he owns, throw him to the ground, just continue to beat him and kick him and beat him and kick him. And here he is lying on the road, bleeding out, thinking this is it. I have nothing left. This is where I die. And he hears footsteps coming towards him. And he probably thinks they're coming back to finish me off. And as his eyes refocus, he sees a single man walking towards him. A man who looks like a priest. And he starts to think, man, I'm saved. Finally, someone who's going to come and help me. Or so do we think. Look how Jesus continues in this parable. He says, a priest happened to be going down the same road And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Now, if you put yourself in the priest's shoes, maybe he had a long day at the temple. Maybe he had been struggling all day long with people and their problems and just trying to teach them the ways of Jesus and the law and all these different things. Maybe he was exhausted. Maybe he was going home to family turmoil, his wife and his kids. Nobody was getting along in his house and he just trying to figure out what to do when he got back home. We don't know. Or maybe he saw this man lying on the road and said, hey, I've read stories about this. I've heard stories about this where someone sits on the road, looks like they're hurt and they're injured. And when you go to help, they just start beating you and kicking you and they take everything that you own. It's a trap. So I'm not going to get involved. It's too messy. And so what's he decide to do? He decides to pass on by. He decides to hang up the phone at that 2 a.m. phone call and go back to bed. But hope's not lost. The man hears more footsteps coming his way. Scripture goes on to say in verse 32, so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. See folks, the key point and what we need to learn from these two people, the priest and the Levite is this, 
you're always gonna find an excuse to justify not getting involved. You're always gonna find an excuse to justify not getting involved. We're too busy, we're too tired, we've got too much on our plates, our schedules are too full, we don't have the resources, we don't want to get involved, our mind's not in it, we've got our kids in the car, our hands are full, I don't know this person, I know that person and they're super clingy and if I get involved, I know they're just gonna unload all their shenanigans on me and I don't have time for that. See, we're always going to find ways to justify not getting involved. But the point is to say that we care and not to act, it's not to care at all. See, in those moments, we have a decision to make. Do we either choose to step in and help or do we continue to pass on by? And those thoughts, those processes in our brain, and they go every single moment these decisions come in front of us. These opportunities are laid before us. When we see someone who's in need, our mind starts playing this what if game, starts trying to justify the reasons why not to involve yourself rather than give you the reasons why you should involve yourself. And the sad reality is most of us do just exactly what this priest and this Levite do. They just pass on by hang up that phone and go back to bed at 2 a.m. So before we finish this story, let me just ask, what do we know about compassion? What do we really know about compassion from this story? Well, I think there's three things that we really can learn. If we're truly gonna call ourselves believers in Jesus Christ and understand that we are called to care, that we are called to compassion, there are three things that we need to know that are truths about compassion. And the first one is this, that compassion interrupts. Compassion interrupts. Very rarely will we ever just wake up one day and say, you know, what? I don't have a lot going on on my plate, so I'm going to go out and find someone who's in need and help them today. No. Usually it comes as some divine intervention when we're least expecting it, when we're not ready for it, we're not prepared for it, we're not fully awake yet. It's going to come like a phone call at 2 a.m. in the moment morning. It's going to come like a man lying on the side of the road as we're trying to get to some place. These divine opportunities are placed in front of us every single day, and they're going to interrupt our schedules. But the sad reality is, is so many of us are so focused on trying to meet our current schedules. We're so busy. We've got deadlines. We've got things on our calendars that just prevent us from really being willing and being open to be interrupted. That when we see these things occur, that we're able to pause what we're doing and truly start to help. See, most of us, we choose just to continue doing our own thing rather than really heeding these divine opportunities that God is placing before us. See, every day, God gives us these divine interventions, whether we realize it or not. And if we're really willing to be sensitive to the Spirit and have our hearts and our minds and our eyes open and being willing to be molded and led by what God is calling us to do, you'll see that God presents in front of you every day an opportunity to help someone, however you can. And yeah, it may interrupt you, it may be inconvenient, but to say that we care and not to act, it means not to care at all. God is calling us to care, to step in, to be interrupted and make a difference. I mean, look at how the rest of this story continues on. Verse 33 says, a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Do you know what that word is in the Greek? Splachnitzelmai. He had splachnitzomai on this man. He sees him and he says, hey, I need to help this guy. And here's the super interesting thing about this story. This man says he was a Samaritan. 
The man who was laying on the floor on the road, you know who he was? He was a Jew. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They saw them as half Jews, these half breeds. They were worse than dogs. In fact, they would go out of their way to avoid Samaria, to avoid Samaritans at all costs. But here this Samaritan comes, sees this Jew lying on the floor, and he says, you know what? Regardless of our differences, I'm going to help. I'm going to be willing to be interrupted in my schedule. He probably had places to go, but I'm going to be willing to step in and help you because I see that you're someone in need. And he doesn't just check on him and walk away. No, he really shows compassion and caring and helps the man. Look at what he does. Verse 34, he went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. See, the interesting thing about this that we really have to learn is that this guy sees this man hurting. He walks up and he says, hey, you know what? I'm no doctor. I see that you're in pain, but I'm still going to help you. He takes some water. He takes some wine, pours it on the man's wounds to clean him off. He bandages him up so that way he doesn't continue to bleed out. He picks up this man who's half dead and places him on a donkey and then continues down the road. Who knows where they were in this 17 mile stretch of road. And what we need to realize is this man, the Samaritan has now put himself in a vulnerable position. He now is susceptible to the robbers and the burglars and the thieves and the thugs who are waiting on the road ahead of him. On his donkey, he could have had a good chance of getting away faster and escaping from danger. But now he's walking. He's at a slower pace. He's going to be tired. He can't defend himself well, but he did it all for this man. And he takes him to the hotel that's down the road. And odds are this man had places to go. He had things that he was trying to do that day. I'm sure he didn't wake up in the morning and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go and find a half dead Jew out there lying on the road somewhere and try to find a way to help him today. That's what I feel I want to do today. Absolutely not. He had things to do. He had places to go, but he was willing to be interrupted. He was willing to stop his busy schedule and help someone in need. And that's what we're being called to do. Because true compassion, it interrupts and we need to allow it to interrupt. We need to create those moments in our lives where we can be interrupted to help other people. Because to say that we care and not to act is not to care at all. It's like just to hang up the phone and go back to bed at 2 a.m. in the morning. See, the second thing that we learn about compassion is this, is that compassion, it costs. Compassion typically costs us something and sometimes it's pretty significant and it costs this man something. Look at how it continues on in verse 35. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Now, you know how much this is? This is two days worth of wages. Two days worth of wages. That was a lot back then. And he just freely gives it away to help this man in need. And not only that, he leaves this man at the hotel. It's not just, hey, he's on your own. Like, good luck with him. I got him this far. You do the rest. No, he takes him to this end, this hotel, gives the man two denarii, says, this is to help with his medical expenses right here, right now. I'm going to go do what I need to do because I've got a couple things, but I'm going to come back and whatever other expenses that he incurs at this point in time, charge it to me. I will take care of it. I will provide for him because I'm going to come back and check in on this guy and make sure that he's okay. See, this is going above and beyond. This is the and then some kind of moment. 
And this is the same thing that God wants us to recognize about compassion in our own lives. That if we are going to say we are people of compassion, people who truly care, we've got to be willing to sacrifice. And for some of you, maybe right now, with everything that's going on, it's hard to give financially. Maybe you've had your hours cut. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe the bills are piling up. You've got debt that you can't get out from under. But it's not always money that God's looking for. God says, I want you to give from your heart. I want you to give sacrificially because everybody has something that they can give in the midst of their situation, whether it be your time, your attention, your resources, and maybe it is money. But for some of us, it's way too easy to just write a check and pass it off and be done with the situation. But God says, no, the heart, it's not in that. Because to say that we care and not to act is not to care it off. You can't just buy someone's compassion. You can't just buy their healing. No, you truly need to step in and make a difference to be like this man and truly care. To truly give sacrificially and follow up and make sure that people are okay because it has the power to really change their life. And that's the third thing that we know about compassion is that compassion changes lives. Compassion changes lives. I mean, if you look at all the ministry of Jesus Christ, if you read through the gospels, the story of how he interacted with people, how he talked to people, how he fellowship with people, how he ate with people, how he healed people, he taught people, he went out and did miracles and amazing things amongst the people that he cared for people. He loved people. He showed mercy to people. He forgave people and he interacted with people who nobody else wanted to interact with. Every single thing that we see from the life of Jesus shows how much compassion he truly had, how much he really cares. And if we're called to be Christians, to be followers of Christ, don't you think this is where it should start? To follow what Christ did when he was here on this earth and to show true compassion and a genuine caring spirit to those who are around us? Because when we truly reach out and show that we care, it has the power to change lives. And yeah, people may not agree with us. People may not believe what we have to say, but if we're willing to take a vested interest in their lives, to truly interact with them, to listen to their stories and care for them, they're going to say, man, there's something different about this person. And I want that. I want whatever it is that they have. And that's going to open the door for us to be able to preach the word of God. Not in an arrogant, not in a boastful way but in a way that will be pleasing, in a way that's going to allow them to say, man, this is so amazing. My life is about to be changed. You see, to hear a non-believer say that you don't care about me, all you care about is trying to convert me, is one of the saddest commentaries on scripture. And that's why we are called as Christians to show real, genuine splachnitzelmai, real, genuine care and compassion to other people because it has the power to change their life. And not only that, it has the power to change your life as well. Because every day, God gives us these divine opportunities. He places people, he places moments, he places situations in our lives where we can get involved, where we can help, that we can show compassion and the true heart and tenderness and the image of Jesus Christ to the people around us. And we have a choice to make, to either get involved, to help change their life or to hang up the phone or to pass on by or to not involve ourselves because it's too messy. But when we truly choose to involve ourselves, 
We have the power to change a life. Not only that, but God can begin to change your life as a result of it. So who do you want to be? What character do you identify with in this story? The priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, the man beaten on the ground? Who is it? I want you to know, folks, if you belong to this church, if you belong to Canyon Hills Friends Church, I want you to know that you belong to a family that cares. Not just a family that says that we care, but puts action behind our caring words. Perfect example, three different things that have happened since this quarantine started. We were given, as you heard a couple of weeks ago, a bunch of face masks as a generous donation. And we took those masks and we could have sold them like everybody else did that we see around the world today. But no, we chose to show true, genuine compassion and caring to our community. And we offered free masks to anybody who wanted to come by and get them. And it was this beautiful scene because we genuinely care about our community. We care about the people we surround ourselves with and we only want to see the best. We want to see their health. We want to see them happy. We want to see them survive. And so we want to do whatever we can to help provide that. So we offered these masks free to the public around us as just a way of saying, we love you, stay safe. Not only that, but we were given a couple gift cards to some grocery stores and we saw some families that were hurting and in need and they lost their jobs and having a hard time putting food on their tables. And we gave these gift cards to them. And now we're getting these letters coming back to us saying, man, it changed our lives to know that there's a church out there, that there's a group of people who we don't even know who would love on us in such a manner. Man, it's powerful. It's life-changing. Not only that, but you know, every other month we go down to Long Beach and even in the midst of this pandemic, we still sent representatives down to Long Beach this past Sunday on Mother's Day to feed the homeless. You see, we are a church. We are a group of people who care for our community, who care for our church body, who care for our family, who care for the people of God. We want to be known as people who don't just say that we care, but our actions, our lives, everything, our identity, who we are is exemplified by it. The question is, what do you want to be the marker of your life? Do you want to be just someone who says that you care, but you never follow through? Or do you truly want to make a difference to be interrupted, to know that it's going to cost you something sacrificially and to have your life changed as a result of it? Because you feel this splachnitzomai in your life that's compelling you to make a change. You know, before I close in prayer, I want to tell you the final part of the story with my friend that I didn't share yet. See, a couple days later, I called her up because I just wanted to know how she was doing. And it wasn't out of guilt. It wasn't out of shame or anything. I was genuinely invested and wanted to know, is my friend okay? And I asked her, is there anything that I can do for you? And she asked me for one thing. And this one thing, it would cost me. It would change my life and it would interrupt me. She said, I haven't been willing, I haven't been able to get back into a car since the event happened. Would you be willing to drive me out to see if we can find my car, the place where I went off the road so I can get some closure to this traumatic event that I've experienced. And yeah, I was a college student. I didn't have money. It's a long drive all the way out there. That would be a sacrifice. I had to find someone to cover my shift at work and maybe skip class that day if I truly was going to spend all day going out there with her. But I didn't hesitate because I wanted to be a man of my word and I wanted to be there for her in her time of need. So I said, you bet. 
and we got in the car and we drove out there and we spent hours searching and we finally found this place in the road where you could just see skid marks going off and the embankment broken down and just nothing. And to give you an idea of how severe this drop was as a, an adventure guy, I always carry rock climbing equipment in my car. Looking down at the ground, her car was already gone. Probably somebody had come by, saw it, called a tow truck. They pulled it up, but there was a debris field down there. So I took and parked my truck on the side of the road, attached a rope to my running board, and I rappelled down to the debris and gathered whatever I could from her car. And it was this amazing moment because yes, it cost me something. Yes, it interrupted my schedule, but it changed me because it made me realize the type of person that I want to be. I don't want to be the kind of person who just says that I'm going to be invested. It says that I care. I want to be a person of action. I want to be a person who follows through on what I say that I am. So that way my friends know that they can always count on me, that people can know that I am who I say that I am. And every single opportunity I get, I can show the love of Jesus through my actions and through what I decide to do. And because of that, our friendship has grown ever since. And we're still really good friends to this day. And so I just want to challenge you. And I just want to ask you the question, what do people know you in regards to compassion for? Are you the type of person who shows real compassion, genuine, authentic compassion? Or are you someone who just says that you care, but you never act? Let's pray. Father, God, we live in such a difficult time a time when there's just so much going on in this world around us, so many people who are hurting, such a dark place. God, I pray that you would just rise us up to be real people of compassion, people who seek to do your word, to be your hands and feet, Father, to truly make a difference in this world around us. Father, I pray that you would give us this splach nitzelmai type of care in our lives where we're moved when we see a need and do whatever we can to help because that's what we've been called to do. Father, we've seen how you have helped us in our own lives and we pray that you just give us that opportunity because we know that they're out there every day to return it to the world around us, to return it to the people around us, to your community, Father, to your people. Father, we pray that you just give us this heart for compassion, this heart for caring, this heart for love, and this heart just to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. We love you, Father. We pray this in your name. Amen.